It's amazing how God puts things together. It was a number of years ago, actually, one of the first mission trips I ever took was in the year 2001, and I uh, took some time and taught for the missionary that was there, and I spoke on the life of Christ, and actually put together some notes on the triumphal entry, and uh, I put those notes away, and be honest with you, I've not looked at them for a long time, but it was a couple years ago that I was going through some things, and I found that, and I thought, you know, the next Passion Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, I want to share this. I want to develop this into a message. And so this is really something that uh, though I've studied for the last few weeks, it has really been something that the Lord has been simmering over time. How many of you like to use one of those crock pots? Do you understand what I'm talking about? You put something in there and then you can go away and just let that thing work. Well, that's what's been happening with this message for 20 plus years. It's been simmering in the crock pot. And so here we are on this particular day. I want to share this message with you. John chapter 12, please look at verse number 12. The Bible says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. Now please do me a favor, just hold your place here. I'd like you to just go over to the book of Mark for just a moment. Mark chapter number 11. In fact, the Bible records, it's one of the few events in the life of Jesus that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. So I'd like you to just give a little perspective here from Mark's Gospel. Mark 11 Verse number 1, when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. If any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. They went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. Certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosen the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strewed them in the way. And They that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna into the highest. And Jesus entered in Jerusalem and into the temple. And you can see the Matthew chapter number 21, Luke chapter 19 also record this particular event. But we're going to concentrate most of our time here in the first text that I read here from John chapter 12, 
And I'd like to share this particular message with you today titled, The Day the King Came to Town. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for the blessed time that we've had so far being able to worship thee in song. Thank you for this moment now where we get to hear from the Word of God. I I ask, Father, that you would still us now, help us to be focused on that which is before us. May we not think about anything that may happen later today or this week. And I ask that the sweet Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of men and women. Lord, you know the need of every heart. You know those that are saved and are backslidden and need to come to thee. You know those that are without a Savior. If they died today in their sins, they'd be without Jesus Christ, and they'd be in an eternity in hell. I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, work in our hearts. Help me as I speak. May I stand behind the cross as I deliver thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This account that I read to you in John chapter 12, which is referred to as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, is such an important event that it is recorded in all four of the gospel records. In fact, I already read for you, not only from our text here in John chapter 12, but we looked at Mark chapter 11. It's found in Luke 19. It's also found in Matthew 21. It's quite interesting when you look at the first three gospel records, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are known as the synoptic gospels. In other words, the synoptic gospels, they all look at the word of God, if you will, from the same point of view. So many times when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find very similar records. But in the gospel of John, he brings some things out and even some things he doesn't share that the other gospel records do. It's quite interesting that each record, that is the four gospels, note that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he sent two of his disciples on an errand while he was there at the Mount of Olives. These uh, take note, the synoptic gospels that is, they take note of the specific instructions of the Lord and what are they? They're to go into a particular village. They're to find a colt that is tied to a donkey. Now, this colt was considered a very young creature. That's the very word that is given here of colt. No one ever sat on this. Never, no one had ever broken this animal in. And if anyone was to ask, why are you taking these animals? And sure enough, as we read in Mark, the owners, we can surmise that these were the owners asking, why are you taking the answer that was given by the Lord and then through these disciples was, the Lord hath need of him. It seems as you read this that the owners or whoever asked the question seemed very satisfied with the answer that these animals were not of their own ownership, but they were for a greater cause. And as Jesus enters this donkey into Jerusalem, the people laid down palm branches. That's why it's often been called today here, referred to as Palm Sunday. And these people before the Lord Jesus begin to cry out, Hosanna to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to submit something to you today, that for all the people over the last couple of thousand years who have entered into Jerusalem there's never been an entry into the city of Jerusalem 
like this one. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, the very Son of God, coming in this way into Jerusalem. Now, when did this take place, this triumphal entry? Well, this is a very significant week in the Jewish calendar. In fact, this was referred to as Passover week, and it is when the Jewish people celebrated God's miraculous deliverance of Israel from Egyptian control. It was when Moses had come in and performed those miracles by God's help and had led the Israelites out of Egypt. So every year since that day, crowds of people would come into Jerusalem and would celebrate that wonderful annual event known as Passover. In fact, if you read historians, it has been estimated that probably the time that Jesus came into Jerusalem, this particular week that we're reading about, it's possible that there were two to three million people crowded into Jerusalem. In fact, one of the historians records that uh, about 10 years after this particular event, there was a historical record that some 256,000 lambs had been slaughtered for this particular feast day. And it's estimated that possibly a lamb could be slaughtered and, and given as an offering for up to about 10 people. So you could have had at least a couple of million people, maybe up to 3 million people. Now, this day takes place on a Sunday, which is part of this Passover week or a week that we now know as Passion Week. This Passion Week has been commonly called as such because of the suffering, the anguish, and the punishment that the Lord Jesus Christ would face in this week. You say, preacher, why do you refer to it as such? Acts 1-3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. So here it is on this Sunday, before Jesus goes to the cross, that very Sunday, he enters into Jerusalem sitting on a donkey. But you'd ask now, why does this happen? I'm glad that you asked the question. Jesus, as I mentioned, is on his way to Jerusalem to present himself as the Passover lamb. Now, much of the account of the life of Jesus Christ shows him staying out of the limelight. From time to time, people would get saved and they'd want to make a big deal and Jesus would just slowly move out of the way. But now, this week, Jesus is coming to present himself, to offer himself as the Messiah. Right here, right in this place, Jesus, the prophesied one, will come to show himself and present himself. And so I want to open up this passage for a few moments and see this day that King Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Number one, I want you to notice this, the rule of the king. The rule of the king. Now, what is sad to see is that these people recognize him on one day as the Messiah and as the king, but on another day, they take him away to crucify him. But Jesus didn't come to be king on their terms. Jesus would come and would fulfill exactly what the scripture said of him in his own time, not theirs. Now, I say that Jesus has the rule here 
the rule is very evident of this King Jesus because, number one, I want you to notice here that he has the power to rule because of fulfilled prophecy. Jesus has the rule because he's the one who fulfills prophecy. Would you look with me, John chapter 12, look at verse number 14, please. The Bible says, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, But notice the last words of verse 14, as it is written. Now, anytime you see that wording in the New Testament, you can bet your bottom dollar that there is a verse or a passage of Scripture that is referenced from the Old Testament. And any time a New Testament passage references an Old Testament passage, there is a fulfillment that is taking place. You say, Pastor, why do we have a New Testament and an Old Testament? Well, there are a number of reasons. Number one, Jesus splits the Testaments, if you will. When Jesus came, no longer now were things done with the sacrificing of lambs, but now Jesus himself offered himself as the Lamb of God, and now we're in the New Testament era. But in the Old Testament, how amazing that everything is looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ And now, in the New Testament, as it was written in those days, they're going back and they're saying, oh, wait a minute, this makes sense. This is brought in. Here's what can show about the Messiah. So Jesus is noting here that something was written about him. And what is that? Well, it says here that these are written here of what these people said of the Lord Jesus. Hosanna, this is the one coming. And guess which passage of Scripture is referenced? Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. Do you realize 500 years before this day ever took place, the prophet Zechariah sees a king riding into Jerusalem just as he does. And Jesus himself knew full well that this day, as he's riding into Jerusalem, would fulfill prophecy. Now you say, preacher, is that really a big deal? Absolutely it is. One of the greatest evidences or proofs that you can give to an unbeliever is the fact that the prophecies of the Old Testament that are spoken of the Lord Jesus Christ that are spoken of the end times are and will be fulfilled. Do you understand here today that there's no other book in the world that has ever dared to predict the future like the Bible has, and it's never been wrong. When Jesus came the first time, there were dozens upon dozens of prophecies that were spoken of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how amazing, every one of them fulfilled. The sad commentary on many people is they say to themselves, well, Christianity is just a dead religion. 
Or they might look at a Bible and they say, well, this Bible is just an old book. It's full of little tales and little stories that maybe teach us some morals. I want to tell you something. As I hold this book high, this book is more than just simple little stories to read at bedtime. This is about the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ, who came on this earth to die for you. And everything of the Old Testament that prophesies about that Messiah, every bit of it has come true. You say, really? Tell me about some of those prophecies. Well, I want to tell you something here, that there are many, many things that have been fulfilled. Naturally, verse number 16 here, after Jesus' ascension, there are things that are spoken about, but there's other things that have been fulfilled, prophecies given. Do you realize that when Mary, the mother of Jesus, said that she was pregnant and it had nothing to do with her fiancé, Joseph, that this was fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus would be born of a virgin? It's fulfilled. Do you realize today that when God moved upon the Roman emperor to cause everybody to go back to the place where they were born in order to pay their taxes, that it just so happened that Joseph and Mary had to go back to Bethlehem, and while they were in Bethlehem, guess who was born? Jesus. Now, some people look at that and go, well, what a coincidence. My friend, that is not coincidence. There's no such thing about luck in the Bible. That is God ordaining everything and bringing things to be. Do you understand that when Judas committed to betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, he did so for 30 pieces of silver, and that amount of money had been predicted by Zechariah 500 years before. And not only that, but when Judas realized what he had done, and his heart was so torn about betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, he came in and he took those 30 pieces and he threw them in the temple. And those priests gathered that money up and they said, well, we we can't put this in the temple offering. So they went out and they bought from a potter a piece of field for those 30 pieces of silver. Do you realize that was a prophecy given several hundred years before? Does it not strike you the way in which Jesus would die? How was Jesus crucified? He was crucified, nailed on the cross. Is it not amazing to you that 1,000 years before the crucifixion ever took place, the psalmist in Psalm 22 said about Jesus that his hands and his feet would be pierced? Now, at the time that the psalmist wrote that psalm, nobody thought about crucifixion. It wasn't until the Romans came into power 600 years later that they began to perfect the idea of taking people and crucifying them. But I want to tell you something, that God was orchestrating everything from beginning to end. I'm stunned by the accuracy of Psalm 22, verse number 18, where it tells us what would be done with the clothes of Jesus. It says that his garments would be split, and that happened to be done amongst four soldiers that were there. But it also states that his coat had no seam, and they would gamble for it. That is, the word that is used, they would cast lots. What incredible accuracy. These are not generalities. These are specifics. 
Does it not amaze you when it regards the scripture here, when it talks about the, the, uh, the soldiers who were coming by to break the legs, and they broke the legs of the one thief on one side of Jesus. They broke the legs of the thief on the other side. And when they came to the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw that he had already died, and they put their club down and did not break his legs. And you say, wow, that was just neat. Do you realize a psalmist 1,000 years said that not a bone of his would be broken? Now, I could take the rest of this morning and I could walk through Scripture and share with you about all the prophecies that have been fulfilled. But I'm here to tell you in a general statement that every bit of this screams of the fact that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Because of fulfilled prophecy, you and I have a credible word of God. And he has the power to prophesy, but I want you to notice this. Jesus has the power over nature, number two. He has the power to control nature. Now, our main text that we read here in the Gospel of John doesn't give to us what leads up to Jesus' writing into Jerusalem, but the other Gospels do. <coughs> He sends two of his disciples into the village, tells them exactly what they will find. He tells them how to respond if they're asked, and their response is, the Lord hath need of him. Jesus tells the disciples here that the owners will immediately send the animals with them, and this must indicate somehow that those disciples, those people were either disciples or they knew the Lord and they allowed those animals to go on. Now, I, to me, it's amazing to read that story as I, as I read through that this week to see all of the details coming together and the Lord's rule, not over just prophecy, but over the simple things of life, such as these animals and these people that own the animals. The fact that the Lord had control of anything like this animal was very interesting Mark's gospel that we read earlier told us that this animal had never been ridden before. What a significant fact. But this animal is reserved for exactly what Jesus needed it for. Nobody had ever broken this animal in. This animal probably was still bucking a little bit, still uh, 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 in the midst of some training, but yet when the Lord got on that animal, think with me for just a moment, that animal obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one time did Jesus go, whoa, whoa. No, no. Jesus rode into Jerusalem just as he intended, and that animal obeyed every command of Jesus. How powerful. Can I say to you, it's amazing to me that Jesus' command over this animal means that Jesus has command over the things in your life. Sometimes you think to yourself, well, I just don't understand what's going on. I don't know what's happening in my life. I want to tell you something. Jesus has command over nature, and Jesus has command in your life. And Jesus can help you in whatever is going on. If you have dominion over nature, just as the Lord Jesus Christ does, you'll have the ability to walk on water. You'll have the ability to calm a storm. You'll have the ability to heal with a touch. You'll be able to send a fish with a coin in his mouth so that way the friend can go ahead and pay his taxes. That's the Lord that we serve. Jesus has power 
over everything. That's the rule of this king. But number two, I want you to notice the revelation of this king. The revelation. How is the Lord Jesus revealed now as he comes in to Jerusalem? Well, he's revealed, first of all, as a servant, the servant king. Notice what Jesus rides in on. A donkey. Not a chariot. Not a beautiful white horse. But a simple, lowly donkey. The Roman authorities, you can bet, who were used to royalty, would not probably ride like this. The Jews, looking to Jesus, were probably thinking to themselves, what is Jesus riding on? But why this donkey? Well, first of all, you have to understand the Old Testament and the Jewish custom. This would have been a proclamation of their recognition of Jesus as the king. Please understand now, not everybody that rides into town on a donkey would be considered a king. But I want you to notice what these people do. They lay their clothes down. They go ahead and put the palm branches down. And they walk in with the Lord Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. How amazing. When you compare this with the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings, it's interesting that when David's son began to promote himself as king, I think it was Adonijah, and the priest began to come to David and said, now Adonijah, he's proclaiming himself as king. Did you not make promise that Solomon would come after you? And David said, yes. And he said, I want you to do this. Make everything ready for Solomon. So what did they do for Solomon to proclaim as as king? They took Solomon, they set him on a donkey, they brought him into through the town, and all the people began to follow him. That was their proclamation of Solomon as king. Do you realize as Jesus is riding in on this donkey, though it doesn't seem much to us, This is Jesus again fulfilling Scripture. This is Jesus showing us the pattern that he is presenting himself as the king, but a servant king. Again, he doesn't ride a chariot. He doesn't ride a horse. He comes in on a donkey. A horse, military animal. It was signal military victory. But the donkey used for civil ceremonies, was actually a symbol of peace. By choosing a donkey rather than a horse, Jesus showed that he was coming in peace. And it really should have been a sign to to the whole crowd as he was coming in that he was not coming in to overthrow the Roman government. He was actually coming in to share with people the real reason why he came to let people know that their sin needed to be taken care of. So Jesus comes in as his servant king, but number two, he reveals himself as the Savior King. Look at verse number 13. It says, They took here the palm branches and they laid them down. They desired to celebrate with something and therefore took the palm branches and waved them. It's actually a sign of victory. It's also what's going to happen in the future. When you look here at Revelation chapter number 7, 
And you see about Revelation 7 where it mentions here that there is a great multitude that is saved out of nations and various tongues and all, and they are standing before the Lord. How are they waving that victory, but they're taking palm branches and waving them before the Lord? Can I say that what these people are doing right at this very time, these palm branches are a signal of victory. Lord, we recognize who you are, and they recognize who he is by stating in verse number 13, look at what they cry out. Hosanna! Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, the word Hosanna is not a word we would use a whole lot, but here's what it means. Lord, save us now. Lord, save us now. It's amazing the different perspective of Jesus and the crowd. Jesus is coming in peacefully. Jesus is coming in to go ahead and let them know that he wants to rule the heart. Eventually will come the rulership of the outside of this world, but they want an overthrow of the Roman government now. Hosanna, save us now. This was part of a portion of Scripture, in fact. It's pretty amazing. What they're reciting here is from Psalm 118. You can find it in verse 25 and 26. Psalm 118 is part of a package of Psalms from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, which are known as the Hallel Psalms, short for the word hallelujah or the idea of praise. Every Passover during the course of this week, every Jewish person, as they would have this feast, they would sing out and they would share these particular Psalms and give praise. And you know what they were looking for? They were looking for that Messiah. They were looking for that king to come and to rule this earth. So these people, let's get the perspective. They see the Messiah, and they want him to overturn everything right now. They anticipated an overthrow of the Roman government. But I'm here to tell you Jesus came to not purge Israel of their foreign domination, but to purge his people of their sins. They're looking for and longing for a temporal, political, and military savior. However, Jesus was coming to complete their salvation, not only of their body, but of their soul. That's why the Bible talks about in John chapter 1, verse 12, that he came here to give life to those that believe on his name. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4, 12, there isn't salvation through any other, but through the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus The salvation that Christ was going to offer would be the victory of life over death, salvation over sin, love over hate, forgiveness over condemnation. That's why Jesus came. 
but they didn't see it. Then I close with this thought here. I want you to notice the reminders about the king. There's a rule of the king. There is the revelation of the king. But here's something that brings it home to us. The reminders about the king. First of all, the next time Jesus comes, it won't be on a donkey. The first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. But the next time he comes, he'll come as a conquering king. Oh, I was looking this morning, early this morning, as I was reading through the Scriptures, and I once again read Revelation chapter 19. What a powerful Scripture where the Bible describes here in verse number 11 where John is looking up and he says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Boy, can you imagine the vision that John saw of Jesus coming in that beautiful white horse and all of his saints coming with him on horses and Jesus, by the very word of his mouth, smites his enemies. That's Jesus. So I want to tell you something. The next time Jesus comes, it won't be on a donkey. You see, before Jesus can come as king to reign, he has to come as a savior to die. You know, that's a hard thing for us to understand is the contrast in the whole ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone once wrote about Jesus, listen to these words. He who is the bread of life began his ministry hungering. He who is the water of life ended his ministry thirsting. Christ hungered as a man, yet fed the hungry as God. He was weary, yet he is our rest. He paid tax, yet he is the king. He was called a devil, but cast out demons. He prayed, yet he hears prayers. He wept, but he dries our tears. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeems sinners. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. He gave his life, and by dying he destroyed death. That lowly carpenter of Nazareth is also the mighty architect of the universe. What a contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing I want you to be reminded of is this. Don't be disappointed in how Jesus works in your life. Don't be disappointed. It's amazing to me that the same people who on this day cried out, crown him, not much later said, crucify him. Those same people who said, hail him, later said, nail him. You see, they were looking for somebody to rule over the Romans. What Jesus, all of his contemporaries failed to realize is that before Jesus would assert his outward authority, he had to rule the citadel of man's heart. The greatest need of every Jew was not freedom from Caesar, but it was a release from the sins, the chains of his own sins. Jesus would rule in power and glory one day, but first he had to pay sin's penalty on the cross. And the key to the whole kingdom is not a revolution. It's repentance. 
to turning away from sin, from following the world, from following the evil one, and to following Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. Some of you are looking over Christianity, and you say to yourself, well, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Quit trying to follow your own heart. Quit trying to read it from the world's perspective. Jesus has come. And it's not on our timetable. It's not how we often understand it. But number three, reminder, understand Bible prophecy. Would you do me a favor? And I want you to go back one book to the book of Luke, and I want you to notice something. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And verse number 42. Again, this is all part of this aspect here, we read in these verses about the transfiguration leading up to verse number 40. But Jesus makes an interesting statement after he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Look at verse 42. If thou hadst known, even thou at least in Notice the next three words in the King James Bible. This thy day. You know what's important for us to remember? Is to understand Bible prophecy. Jesus standing there and realizing that the people did not fully understand his coming into Jerusalem. And as he weeps over Jerusalem, knowing that some 40 years later, Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans. And yet Jesus, in weeping, he said, you don't understand what this day was all about. I wish I had time to walk through some of the scriptures here today. But when you begin to compare scripture with scripture and you begin to look at some of the historical dating of things, there is an understanding that Jesus knew all the way in the beginning, the very day that he would come into Jerusalem. You see, God's got a plan. And all of the Scripture fits together like a hand in a glove. People look at Christianity and the Bible and they say, well, it's just a bunch of mumble jumble. I don't understand it all. I want to tell you something. When you get saved and the Holy Spirit resides in your life, you begin to understand the Bible in a very real and practical way. And everything comes together, and God has put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And when he stood there at Jerusalem, he said, if you would understand what this day was all about, it would change your life. God has so designated for you to be here this day. You know, it's amazing to me. I was talking about this with somebody in our church just recently. Every Sunday is a different Sunday as far as the makeup of the crowd. Now, I would say this, and I understand sickness, and I understand being out of town, but you ought to make it a point to be faithful to the Lord's house. Amen? Truthfully, every Sunday is a different group of people. 
And the fact that you're here today, God knew that many years ago you would be in church at Calvary Baptist Church of 75 Pine Street and you would hear this particular message that God began working in my heart and God put you here this day. Now I want to ask you, what's the need of your heart? For the Jerusalem people that day, they were looking for something of immediate satisfaction. They were looking for some things to meet the temporal needs that they had. But I want to tell you, God goes beyond the temporal. God gets below the surface. And you and I have some deep spiritual needs. Maybe here today that you're without Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, over the course of the last week or so, we've had a half a dozen people that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. How wonderful. How wonderful it is to hear of people that are recognizing their need for a Savior, that they're a sinner, that there's no way they can get to heaven on their own, and they place their faith in Jesus Christ. It's possible that you're sitting here today, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died, you probably wouldn't go to heaven then I want to encourage you today to place your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, every person here needs to come to a reality of who they are before Jesus. Yesterday, as I brought our missionary friend into the hotel, I heard this hotel clerk begin to share about his last couple of hours in coming into the hotel. He had had a massive blowout on his tire, and he was concerned because he had a seven-year-old child, and he thought that his life was flashing before his eyes, and I could tell he was agitated but worried about what happened. And I leaned over the counter, and I said his name, and I said, let me ask you a question. If you died at that moment, do you know that you go to heaven and tears began to come down his eyes? He almost wept uncontrollably. I came around the counter and I went over and gave him a hug because I felt bad for him. But I want to tell you something, that there are people in this room just like that man who have gone through things in their life and all their life is wrapped up in this world, everything about now, but they haven't thought about eternity. And my friend, The Bible is given. Every bit of it is fulfilled. You're hearing this message today so you could place your faith in Jesus Christ. So, do you know Jesus today? But if you know him, are you putting all the pieces together and are you sharing the good news? In John chapter 12, it's amazing how later the Bible, John records this. He said, you know what? He said, we didn't get it all on that day that we were riding with him into Jerusalem. I mean, he talks about doing this, and yeah, I kind of remember some of the words that Zechariah the prophet said, but John said that later, after Jesus had already ascended to heaven, all of a sudden, it dawned on him. That's what that meant. And do you know why in the book of Acts that John and Peter and all the other apostles were very strong evangelists? It's because it got a hold of their heart. And the reason some of you are not evangelists, I'm not talking about full-time, but the reason you're not sharing the gospel, the reason you're not sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ is because you are a casual Christian. 
and you haven't put it all together. And God has brought you here today to hopefully help you understand that this book is true, that Jesus is coming someday, and that we have a message to get the gospel out. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of God. Help us, Lord, I pray.